Namaste and welcome to another edition of the Bharat Vartha Weekly. I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have with me Abhishek Paul to run you through the news and events of the week that was. Uh, we'll hopefully be joined by Nirav Kanodra shortly as well. Uh, so this week we'll be talking about Israel's successful reusable launch vehicle test, former US President Donald Trump's uh, indictment, updates on the China-Taiwan conflict, Chinese President Xi Jinping's meeting with French and EU presidents, uh, and the Padma Awards, uh, and of course, uh, updates from the IPL as well. Not very good news for uh, Bangalore fans. Uh, hey, Abhishek, how's it going? Hi, Kari. All good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Catching up with the IPL? Yeah, a little bit, but not fully into it yet. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I've been like catching the odd match or two. Uh, we're just waiting for RCB to kind of hit its stride, you know, which might be forever. But anyway, we'll start with the first piece of news. Uh, former US President Donald Trump has been indicted by a New York grand jury on charges of paying hush money to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Uh, he was being investigated on charges of falsifying business records in connection to these payments. He now faces 34 charges and could be sentenced for up to 136 years in jail if convicted. Abhishek, what do you make of this? Uh, you know, if he is convicted, uh, he'll be the first US president to go to jail. This could be unprecedented. Yeah, so to give a sort of lay of the land, right now there are, I would say, four major cases going on against Donald Trump. The first one is the one you talked about, which is in the state of New York, where this hush money uh, case is going on, right? So we'll come back to that. But the other three are also sort of, you know, worth noting, right? So in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, there is an investigation ongoing into the alleged efforts by Trump and others, where they are alleged to have tried to undermine this election results in 2020. And then there are sort of phone calls where he's sort of asking people to get him 11 or 12,000 extra votes so that he can win that state. So that is the second one. And then in Washington, there are two cases ongoing where first one is related to the January 6th incidents and, you know, his alleged efforts to interfere in the lawful transfer of power right following the 2020 elections and the last one is where you know sensitive government documents were found in his uh, mar-a-lago residence right and so the case is not only did he take out sensitive documents out of the white house but he also obstructed efforts to retrieve them those are the four cases now coming to this first one where he has been indicted by a grand jury in New York. Basically, this case goes back to 2016, where the charges relate to a payment of about $130,000 by his lawyer, Michael Cohen, to the adult film star Stormy Daniels, right, just before the 2016 elections. And with the idea that this payment would prevent her from talking about her allegations of having an affair back in 2007 right so the charges are that you know he has given false records or false testimony and uh, in new york basically so this is like a felony and he has basically falsified uh, his business records right in terms of not recording this transaction appropriately and disclosures etc 
So now, uh, if you think about it, $130,000 in the grand scheme of things is a very trivial sort of amount. It is also something like, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 year old issue, right? So basically, I think Donald Trump and his supporters are somewhat right in saying that this is a very political witch hunt kind of a case where, you know, Democrats or his opponents are trying to sort of get him by hook or crook. But at the same time, so I was listening to a few US podcasts on this and the feeling seems to be that, you know, it is the Democrats understand that this is like a witch hunt that is going on, but they like it in the sense such as the partisan nature of politics right now that this is also a very popular thing among his opponents, right? Where they want him gone at any cost. So I think this will become like a political thing. If he survives this, perhaps this helps him out, you know, gaining the nomination again for 2024. But then again, there are those of the viewpoint that perhaps he's the easiest candidate to beat for any Democrat. And so, you know, they might be doing a strategic error, right? In going after Trump and, you know, giving him a sort of victim complex or something to play off and actually strengthening him in the long run in case he survives. So obviously these things are all sort of double-edged swords and we'll have to see how it uh, plays out. Yeah. No, I think um, after the previous uh, midterm elections, there was a lot of apathy about, uh, you know, Trump even being in the fray, right? I mean, pretty much everyone was of the opinion, hey, why can't you just move and let, uh, you know, the blue-eyed boy DeSantis kind of take the charge, right? Uh, but now, I mean, he's back in the news cycle. So I don't know how wise it is for Democrats to go after him. And as you rightly mentioned, you know, 16-year-old case, $130,000, uh, 136-year potential judgment. I mean, that's just uh, ridiculous, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, the larger point is that, you know, political opponents, right? I mean, we had similar remarks being made here about, uh, you know, Prime Minister Modi as well, right? Mamta Banerjee famously said that, hey, I mean, we will have the agencies, uh, you know, when we come to power at some point and you, you kind of watch out, right? Uh, at that kind of, you know, thing just is, uh, is not done, I feel. The opponents of the BJP government say that they are also targeting the opposition all the through this uh, reign, right? Like uh, whether it is, you know, Rahul Gandhi and his uh, defamation case or whether it is the ED, which has, you know, started investigations against various opposition parties. There are a number of uh, Ahmadni party ministers in jail right now, right? I mean, whether it is vendetta or whether it is, you know, valid cases, I mean, both viewpoints are there, right? So all I would say is that those who say that India is doing it as an except or India is an exception for doing it are wrong, right? Like it happens everywhere. I think it's only a natural course of things, right? I mean, when they when you come to power or when you have power it is only natural right that you will target your opponents so i don't think uh, there's anything unnatural here it it is kind of i mean there might have been an era where you know politicians considered themselves beyond or above all of these things but i mean that era is definitely not around in any country. I mean, just look at the things that are happening in our neighborhood, right? Like Pakistan, 
I mean, the craziness there is at a different level. So I think actually politicians going to the courts in a civil manner and not getting, you know, dragged around and all is actually quite civil. <laughs> yeah, that whole photo slash video of Imran Khan walking around with a bucket around his head. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this kind of thing used to happen at local, uh, you know, whatever municipal levels, I suppose, or even state levels. But this is the first time I'm seeing it happen at the highest positions of power, right? Uh, yeah. Hey, welcome, Nirav. Uh, we're just talking about uh, President Trump's uh, indictment. Well, moving on, last week, ISRO successfully conducted the test of the reusable launch vehicle, uh, autonomous landing mission, RLV-LEX, at the aeronautical test range in Chitradurga, Karnataka. The RLV was uh, airlifted by a Chinook helicopter flown by the Indian Air Force to an altitude of 4.5 kilometers and released mid-air. The test was conducted in a joint operation with DRDO and uh, the Indian Air Force. Well, we have made uh, amazing strides in uh, space, especially over the last two or three years, right? And, uh, you know, I, I say that, you know, there are two or three things that have come around it. One, I think the whole space policy itself has altered over the last five years. Second, the participation of a lot of these startups uh, and active encouragement as well. You know, ISRO has been actively encouraging these folks through the Indian Space Association and so on and so forth. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a whole generation that's kind of growing up with such aspirational things, right? I mean, after the Chandrayaan and all of those, the smaller parts such as the rocket engines and the boosters can be reused, uh, right? So, which means to say that the entire spacecraft is not reused, but it will save a significant portion of the money for sure, right? Uh, it will reduce the cost of uh, the launch and this is absolutely essential, right? I mean, if you're considering that, you know, if you have to repeat this uh, many times over and considering also that the budgets that we have for this are not anywhere in the orbit of, uh, you know, what NASA or some of the other uh, space missions will have, right? Yeah, so just to add, right, I think uh, what we are underestimating right now is the ability for our space to kind of generate exports, right? So basically, once you get an economy of scale and scope that you are launching enough, you're uh, showing that you've got like the cutting edge technology, you're using reusable components, right? So this allows uh, third countries to use India as uh, uh, like a launch pad for launching their own kind of satellites for like managing their weather and their uh, uh, things, right? Their data, etc. So uh, this is like a nice export opportunity. Uh, two is we are again going through like a Cold War period where a lot of people may or may not trust either US or like Russia which are the or USSR which are the actual space leaders and then you had China also join the game. So with having like this two kind of block again, uh, India as a neutral country could offer something else as well, right? So I think this is a pretty good thing. And uh, second thing is the Silicon Valley in the US was built during or all of it happened due to the lunar landing race right with ussr the more cutting edge technology which is developed for space operations maybe we get something on the semiconductor space maybe we get like other applications uh, which kind of make all our mechanical electrical engineering equipments better and we have a manufacturing renaissance so i think uh, this is great if you look at like uh, SpaceX or Tesla. So Tesla, they started with the model Roadster, right? Right at the top. Then they went through like the models cheaper in sequence. So I think this is what the same thing can happen where you go in for 
your space exploration space development is at the very cutting edge but that is a multiplier effect like 10x maybe goes to the next one and 100x to the next one and this kind of all what we've done very well on the software side on the hardware side as well uh, we can deliver yeah no we're already really cost competitive right on the space front uh, and and i think the industrial viability of some of these applications right whether it is spectroscopy or whether it is you know studying the weather to understand like you know farm patterns and agriculture and so on and so forth right i mean i think all of these will get a lot more viable so yeah let's uh, kind of wait and watch on this french president emmanuel macron and uh, european commission president ursula von der leyen met with chinese president xi jinping on april 6th the three leaders held a trilateral meeting and the talks were focused on convincing president xi jinping to use his influence with the russian leader vladimir putin to end the ukraine war macron was quoted as saying uh, i know i can count on you to bring russia to its senses and everyone to the negotiating table he was of course talking to xi jinping China's uh, EU ambassador said China was not with Russia on the Ukraine war and that no limits is nothing but a rhetoric. Uh Nirav uh, what is all this banter about? Okay so Europe if you really looked at it it used cheap energy from Russia to manufacture stuff and sell like capital goods to China and whereas buying all the lower end manufactured goods from China So uh, trade between EU and China is bigger than trade between China and the US. So biggest trade partner for each other if you count EU as a single country or single bloc is China and vice versa, right? Now what has happened is EU can't do without your biggest customer and your biggest supplier. So biggest supplier they've kind of lined out so instead of buying like cheaper Russian gas coming via pipelines, uh, they have to buy more expensive LNG which is transported from Qatar or like crude oil which is again transported by sea from uh UAE and Saudi right so they really need they cannot afford to antagonize china the way us can so it's in their best interests that uh, both uh, the invasion of uh, ukraine kind of stops or you reach some sort of a stalemate which may not be in the best interest of ukrainians or may not be in the best interest of russians but this allows probably if there is some sort of a ceasefire and a peace accord then it allows them to again import cheaper russian energy and also china being their biggest customer uh, they cannot really afford to uh, alienate china which us is trying and decoupling from china quite a bit right they're trying again china is like a huge gorilla you can say right like in terms of like global trade eu it's in their best interest to reach some sort of a peace accord and that's what they're trying to do now who will be how successful etc we don't know but as you saw like macron as well as uh, the leader of eu so all these guys are going to try and placate with some sort of like a white flagish kind of a thing uh, and global trade is like a lubricant for all it's it keeps inflation lower uh, it keeps things moving so it's always better uh, if you go into a broken up world polarized multipolar world it leads to lesser efficiencies so the cost of living etc goes up uh things are a little more difficult but makes each one self resilient so that's always a little bit sub optimal but uh, uh this is what they're trying to do i don't know how much will uh, xi jinping or putin heed to it as much as eu needs china china also needs eu because china imports capital goods and like more advanced goods from europe and sells them all the cheap cheaper goods right 
so there is like a symbiotic relationship there as well and china tried to cut, close themselves out to the world during like covid and there like a very rapid reopening so there are a lot of things in flux i think there are a lot of things in flux uh, between china and us over taiwan over chips over all these things right so this is one effort to try and bring back normalcy only time will say who is successful to what extent and who has more leverage on which party yeah no speaking of china also launched this uh, whole three day military exercise around taiwan right and this was apparently in response to uh, saying when the, uh, the taiwanese president meeting the us house speaker uh, right and uh, we had abhijit chawda on the podcast uh, last week uh, obviously the the episode was a hit uh, abhijit is a very popular voice and uh, he was of the opinion that china is really not ready to take on taiwan at this point uh, and that they will actually suffer a lot if they actually do something uh, to that regard yeah so moving on towards like this china versus taiwan thing right so last week we spoke about like taiwan is not a country as per un uh, it Uh, does while it has a stable population and a demarcated border it has its own currency it does not have ability to form relations with other countries right and uh, so taiwan or what is called republic of china versus like the people's republic of china uh, there is a sort of conflict there the main purpose of sai ing-wen's visit is to allow taiwanese companies avail of a double taxation no double taxation treaty so companies like tsmc which are setting up plants in arizona don't have to pay corporate income tax both in taiwan and in the us they get an offset of like one versus the other and only countries can sign treaties so china says they have a one china policy so if you have a treaty with china same thing is applied to taiwan is fine but different treaty is not fine and now they're doing this posturing so the taiwan strait i think is 160 nautical miles if i'm not mistaken and the center line at 80 so they've gone and flown planes over it they've gone and Gordon military warships through the center line now this is you know this is like the boy who cried wolf you could see like a lot of posturing lot of posturing and one fine day there could be an invasion or there may not be an invasion we have while like the current uh, ruling party which is democratic progressive party dpp is more aligned to the us the previous ruling party kmt is a little more favorable to china they're not saying be complete part of china but and the previous kmt's leader uh, did visit china at the same time as saying one went to the us so there's a bit of that as well even within the population there is some sort of uh, division about like who are they culturally they are closer to china maybe in economic side they are more closer to the us and taiwanese have become very wealthy by using cheap chinese labor to export to the us if you just look at it that way they are a cutting edge technology it started off with like Formosa is the old name for Taiwan and Formica was like the plastic and synthetic company then you had uh, Foxconn again they were like earlier making toys to like making semiconductors and assembling phones and you have got TSMC which is the most advanced uh, chip manufacturing right so there is a little bit of tension uh, we don't know yet about like whether invasion will happen not happen uh, Xi Jinping just has another 5 year term right from 2022 to 2027 Taiwan is going to have elections early next year and that's going to be very hotly contested because uh, DPP hasn't been in power for uh, two terms 10 years but in the local elections uh, KMT did come back and win quite a bit so again uh, we don't know there's also elections in India also elections in the US so like there's a lot of uh, change in that region right so 
we don't know uh, maybe this is just posturing by china uh, trying to show strength see to be put it this way us has had cuba on its doorstep and against the soviet union through the cold war etc uh, us hasn't done much or hasn't been able to do much in terms of regime change in cuba right uh, so you can take an analogy of like china having taiwan at its doorstep right and uh, so we don't really know whether invasion can happen or no i don't want to be making strong statements either ways i uh, it is an unknown unknown and the consequences are also quite not known uh, if you look at the closest comparison uh, russia's invasion of ukraine first you thought that the sanctions on russia might cripple russia but it it seems that uh, russia hasn't been hit that badly so again we don't know what assessment do chinese leaders take from this what is their take away from this uh that can they afford to be alienated versus the rest of the world or no and who are they in their camp who are neutrals and who are in the us camp so it's it's all out there in the open i think at this moment uh i don't think china might invade this is just posturing and trying to get taiwan to like kowtow a bit to them and uh, try and uh, get like some sort of uh, unfavorable policy for taiwan from the us as well So yeah I think post 2020 nothing is off the table right I mean war sanctions maybe a new reserve currency who knows right what else uh well in some lighter news the padma shri awards uh, were conferred on april 5th in new delhi by uh, president draupadi murmu uh, bollywood actor ravina tandon and oscar winning music composer mm kiravani were honored with the padma shri awards uh, ex chairperson of uh, infosys uh, Ms Sudhamurthy was uh, awarded with the Padma Bhushan for her contributions in the field of uh, social work. Abhishek we've covered this earlier but the Padma awards have become somewhat of a spectacle uh, under the Modi government right unlike you know earlier where worthies of the political party used to get some of these awards i i think uh, you know the generally uh, all of these awards have been very very well deserved uh, and people that uh, you know normally we wouldn't uh, know or recognize uh, but of course i mean the names that i read out are all very famous and and what not uh, there was some bruhaha about you know ravina tandon uh, actually getting the award right uh, so avishek uh, are you a fan of the dak dak girl yeah absolutely i mean who is not so <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely not complaining. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. I think Padma Awards have become like people's Padma Awards uh, in the recent years. I think uh, there is a lot more sort of recognition of names who have worked at grassroots levels, doing you know social good for people. And once they are recognized, then we get to know the stories of how these people have you know touched the lives of. those around them right and so i think uh, you could say like 90 95% of the uh, awards are non political in nature now and you know given to real, you know very deserving citizens of the country right there will always be some political awards uh, for ex- but even in that case the modi government is not sort of shy of are uh, recognizing its political opponents right so for example uh, the late mulayam singh yadav was awarded uh, the padma vibhushan this year so yeah i think the changes in the overall you know padma awards uh, has been a welcome change in the last two years 
I just realized I got my 90s heroines mixed up I mean so Dak Dak was a Yeah Dak Dak girl is Madhuri Dixit yeah yeah So Nirav has been waiting Nirav has been waiting yeah, that's for what? me <laughs> for the last exactly, two Exactly exactly <laughs> So Ravina Tandon is uh, too cheese badi a must must oh, yeah, tip course. tip barsa pani Yeah of course of course yeah 90s man what an amazing time so uh well moving on to more fun stuff uh, fun stuff if you're not an rcb fan uh, that is <laughs> well the ipl has been in uh, full flow lucknow super giants are leading the season with the uh, gujarat titans uh, at a close second yesterday the lucknow super giants won against the sunrisers uh, hyderabad of course and uh, kkr won against uh, you know royal challengers bangalore so abhishek nirav the field is wide wide open uh, at least that's what rcb supporters like to think at this point of time but uh, any predictions for how things are going so i'll go first maybe but like uh, what it seems is that the two new teams which is gujarat titans and lucknow super giants right last year also they did very well uh, they were the top of the tables and uh, this year also they've started off well so i think uh, what probably has happened is that they started from scratch and uh, they've got uh how to build an ipl team now there's like a template that what do you have uh, whereas some of the older teams they have a couple of like uh, a lot of people that they've invested in over time even if they're not performing always at their best uh, they think okay during a league they have every team every player has a few good flashy performances but on an average if you see uh, some of the teams uh, which have been steady they've been holding on to like older players for a while right and then sometimes that leads to suboptimal decisions so maybe uh, this is one takeaway that i could think about uh, you see previously successful teams like mumbai and chennai not doing that well uh, that is one thing to see uh, second thing is that uh, you've got this whole new rule about the uh, super sub or the impact player where uh you can get like a very it gives chances for people who are like very just pure specialist batsmen you come open the innings uh bat well and then you're substituted out and uh, they get a specialist bowler in place so you see old players like uh older in age players like amit mishra who's like 40 years old and he's a specialist bowler not much of a batsman uh he comes in and just as a super sub bowls his four overs and he's out right or you've got some of the younger attacking ipl style batsmen uh i think there was one prabhsimran singh who came opened the batting got out and once he's out he substituted out and they replace so i think this gives another new dynamic this year uh i am not like a big fan of like too many chops and changes uh in cricket but this seems interesting let's see what the real impact is it allows like a pure number 11 type guy who's like a pure bowler or a batsman who's a bad fielder uh still to have like just one skill and do it very well uh allows you to get into the team and uh, reduces the premium on all rounders from what i can get so anyways this is uh, just the start week 1 out of like eight week tournament so let's see where it goes yeah so uh, last week i also read this uh, fantastic uh, thread by this handle called india wants to know uh, right uh, on how the ipl came to be uh, so apparently lalit modi had mooted some similar idea in 1998 right which is uh, pretty fabulous i mean uh, perhaps uh, you know his growing up in the us and watching all of the local sports teams uh, you know compete and and seeing the franchises that could be as big uh were had something to do with it uh and uh, strangely enough uh, jagmohan dalmia was uh, who was the bcci president for uh, a while during that time uh, right uh, was against it and then the thread details you know how 
he uh, you know maneuvered everything uh, all of the power broking what not uh, to get to a point where he could actually decide on this right so uh, and which came to be when sharad pawar uh, became the uh, bcci president uh, at that point of time so yeah f- fantastic stuff and, and subhash chandras yeah subhash chandras icl, uh, yeah. ICL <laughs> took off first and yeah, then there exactly. was a panic reaction from bcci i was okay yeah. let's do it now yeah but imagine right i mean to think in 98 that you will have two or three foreign players per team and so on i mean i think that's truly visionary you know whatever yeah. you might uh, say about the guy right um yeah and, and i can't believe it's been what 20 years of ipl now 16 16 so 16 almost. season 15 years wow. 2008 was the first one yeah and uh, this is the, so dhoni has played 16 seasons uh, crazy it's chennai was banned for two years so he was in that i think pune team for two years but uh, one team otherwise yeah pretty damn awesome all right uh, folks that's it from us uh, for this week i hope you like this and if you did like it do consider rating us reviewing us on your favorite platforms uh, it really helps more people discover our content uh, we have uh, some exciting content coming up for you on uh, politics policy and culture uh, but for now from abhishek neeraj and myself thank you so much for joining us and i hope you have a wonderful week